Shalom and welcome to the Science of the Covenant on this blessed Holy Shabbat. As again, we want to give all praises to the Most High Yah and His Son, Yahusha. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington. And we are broadcasting live today on this Holy Shabbat. We want to let you know the feast days are coming up uh, in a few weeks and that we are going to be celebrating them. So if you are not doing anything, be free to join us on April the 16th as we celebrate Passover at 1 p.m. right here on Psychove.com, as well as we will be celebrating the beginning of the Feast on Unleavened Bread on April the 17th at 7 p.m. right here on Psychove.com. And we're going to conclude the Spring Feast on April the 23rd at 1 p.m., the last day of Feast of Unleavened Bread right here on Psychove.com. So if you're not doing anything, please feel free to join us. We would love to have you. So let's get started with our lesson today. So, Pastor, what will we be talking about today? Well, we're still dealing with the mark of the beast, and we're making some comparisons between the mark of the beast and the seal of Elohim. And so uh, we understood that both Elohim as well as the papacy had a, a strategy and a system. And when we looked at it, what we were able to discover is that Elohim had a seal, which was the Sabbath, but he also had the festival days. And we found out that the papacy also had a mark, which was Sunday, and they also had Christmas, Easter, and a number of the other holidays for their system. And what we want to look at uh, here today uh, is a strategy of the papacy, and what is it that they are trying to do with their system? And we want to want to look at that. But before we really get into it, what we want to do is look at something about the seal of Elohim. And then if we can thoroughly cover the seal of Elohim this week, then next week, we'll see if the same elements that we discover in the seal can be seen in a duplication in the mark that the papacy has or the mark of the beast. So... We'll entitle this lesson, The Strategy of the Papacy. The Strategy of the Papacy. Let us pray. Eternal Father, again, we thank you that you have brought us through another weekend to culminate this week with the Shabbat, that you would give us a happy Shabbat and a blessed day that we can be able to be refreshed. We ask for the cleansing blood of Yeshua in our lives, that we may be purified, that we may have a holy life, to match a holy day to in order to be able to receive a holy blessing. And so now as we engage into the study of the word, we ask that the anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit may take your word, O Heavenly Father, and make it live among us that we can be able to see your will and your covenant that you have made with your people, that when your son do come and receive his own, that we can be a part of that great throne, O Heavenly Father, that can be able to go with him. And once we go with him, O oh, Heavenly Father, we can have a life that we measure with the life of Elohim throughout eternity, world without end. So bless us this day in Yeshua's name. We do ask it and for his dear sake we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. 
Okay, as I said, we're going to look at the strategy of the papacy and what is behind the strategy of the papacy in designing a religious system which would undermine Elohim's. Earlier in our studies, we mentioned Isaiah uh, chapter 14, and that was a few verses. So let's, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 14, and uh, we want to uh, revisit those passages because they have something in it that uh, is very pertinent to our study. So here in Isaiah chapter 14, and we start with verse number 12, and it says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of hell, and will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. So here, uh, what we're saying is they are duplicating this system uh, because they want to be like the Most High. Okay, so in being like the Most High, they have a strategy in duplicating what the Most High says. They'll take his form, and they'll take his pattern of worship, but they'll institute their own a substance in there. So he said, I want to be like the Most High. Moreover, we pointed out that at that time that it, was the, it wasn't the Father's position that he wanted, but he, he wanted the Son's position. But we're going to be able to see in a deeper aspect that it was more than just the Son he wanted to overtake. So the point... Uh, at that time, it was a father that he wanted to, it wasn't the father that he wanted to challenge, but rather his son. But what we must also recognize is that even though it was a son's place that he coveted, yet his ultimate strategy was to overtake the father's kingdom. And one might ask how would we know that he would ultimately try to take over the Father's kingdom? Now, one of the things we must learn about satanic spirits and demonic devils is that they would use any means, good or evil, to attain their heart's desire. And this juxtaposition let us turn our attention back to Revelation 14.1. Let's go to Revelation 14.1. Okay. Now here in Revelation chapter 14, in verse 1 it says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, when we look at this in Revelation 14, 1, it says that he had his father's name in their foreheads. Now, where it points out to us the putting of the father's name in their foreheads, it is in this text that it points out that the father's name is being put 
in the same place as his seal. So his seal was in their forehead. And now we find the Father's name is in their forehead. So let us now consider both the seal of Yah and the name of Yah together in the forehead. So we got the seal in the forehead and we got his name in the forehead. Now let us turn to Exodus chapter 20. And in Exodus chapter 20, we want to look at, uh, we want to start with verse number 8. Exodus 20, and we want to look at verse 8. Now notice what it says. It says here in Exodus 20, verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep, keep it holy. Okay, so it's saying, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Shabbat of Yehoah, thy Elohim. Now, what we notice here, uh, some of the things that we've gone over, that as we read the fourth commandment from 8 to 11, there's a number of things that transpire. The Bible says, he says, but the seventh day is the Shabbat of Yehoah, thy Elohim. So when it talks about Yehoah, thy Elohim, here we are looking at the title and the name of uh, El Shaddai. Okay, so when he says, Yehoah, thy Elohim, in it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger, that is within thy gates, for in six days, Yahuwah, that is his title, Lord, made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, and the and, and this points out his rulership over the heaven and earth, and he rested the seventh day, and the regency of rulership is how long he would rule. Wherefore, Yahuwah, Bless the Shabbat day and hallowed it. Now, consequently, when we remember the the Sabbath, we are we 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 see four we see these four factors of a seal. When we see these four factors of Elohim, they are in in the seal, which is the Sabbath. And when we break down these four factors, we have the following remembrances. In other words, when he said, remember the Sabbath, when we remember it, there are some things that we will remember. We will refer to these remembrances as the Sabbath and anamesis. Okay, we'll talk, be talking about the uh, Sabbath anamesis. Okay, now the word anamesis is spelled A N A. M-N-E-S-I-S, animesis, A-N-A-M-N-E-S-I-S, animesis. Animesis is the ability to recall past occurrences. In other words, animesis simply means that we can go back and we can recall things of the past. So just what are the past occurrences we are to recall when we remember the Shabbat to keep it holy. Okay, we want to see what, what, when we keep the Sabbath each week, what is it that we are to remember? So we look at the Sabbath anamesis, 
In the Sabbath anamnesis, we want to observe the four factors of his seal and to see what it is that he wants us to recall at the end time of every week when the Shabbat comes around on the seventh day. We will relate each of these four factors to our term, anamnesis. So the first anamnesis that we want to concern ourselves with is what we call an anamnesis name, an anamnesis name. And so this point is a sub-point, and we call it, call the anamnesis name, we call that an anamnesis appellation, an anamnesis appellation. Now, appellation means that which you name something, A-P-P-E-L-L-A-T-I-O-N, so anamnesis appellation. Earlier in our studies on this particular phrase of it, we noticed that both the seal of Yah and his name were in the foreheads of the 140 and 4,000. So when we look at his name, it's in the forehead, okay? And it was in, a na- it was in the 144,000's forehead. So is there a connection of some kind between the seal and the name? If the name is in the forehead, and the seal is in the forehead. Is there a connection between the seal and the name? As we explore this connection, let us start with the name. According to Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, dealing with the Shabbat commandment, the name Elohim or Eloheinu, which we translate either thy God or your God, apparently Elohim is his name. If his name is Elohim, this would mean that the name would be in their foreheads. We ask the question, is Elohim's name or is, is Elohim a name or is it just identifying who he is? Apparently, it is his name and it identifies him. However, there is another interesting factor about his name that is quite intriguing. What we notice is that Elohim, of which we translate in English as God, comes from the the Hebrew. Elohim in Greek would be translated as Theos. So in the New Testament, when you see the word God, it comes from the Greek word Theos. If he writes his name in their forehead, then what alphabet did he use Hebrew or Greek? Moreover, when we speak and write the Ten Commandments, when he wrote them, did he write them in Greek or Hebrew? But we know that when he wrote the commandments, they were written in Hebrew. Because what many call the New Testament of the Scriptures was written in Greek doesn't mean that Elohim changed his alphabet to accommodate the Greek. If he wrote it in their foreheads, I would think that if the fourth commandment was originally written in Hebrew, it would also be written in their foreheads in Hebrew. There are those who would say that Elohim is not his name, but his title. Okay, If we choose to take this position, 
then we would run into the trouble in both it being a title and how it translated into English. In the fourth commandment, it speaks of him as Yahuwah Elohim, which we translate in English as the Lord thy God. Now, if God is a title, then what would Lord be? It would seem more reasonable for Lord to be a title than for God. However, in Hebrew, the Greek carries the title Lord as a person who is a master. A master is considered to be a person generally who has authority over others. Who could wear this title more fittingly than El our Elohim, who is the master of heaven and earth and all mankind? Now, since Elohim is his name and Yahuwah is his title, let us at this juxtaposition look at something that is quite noticeable. Let us look at the writing of his name in their foreheads from another angle. And in doing so, we want to take a statement that Yeshua made to his disciples when he was here on the earth with them. And we find this in the book of Luke. So let us turn to Luke because we want to look at something that I believe would have a bearing on what we are dealing with at this uh, time. And that's Luke. And in the book of Luke, we want to look at the 11th church chapter. And I want to look at verses 1 and 2. Luke 11th chapter, verses 1 and 2. And here it reads, it says, And it came to pass that he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So here we found a scenario is that when Yeshua was praying, his disciples wanted to know how they could pray, and they wanted some understanding on this. And notice what he said in verse 2. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallow or holy be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Now, what we want to concern ourselves is with the first part of uh, verse 2, where Yeshua says to them when they address uh, Elohim, how to address him. And he said, when you address him, address him as our father. Okay, our father. Now, here we are told in this passage that as he was praying in a certain place, when he sees his disciples said unto him, Yehoah, or Lord, teach us to pray. As uh, uh, he said, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So Johanan, so John also taught his disciples. Okay. So they wanted to say that when they heard the disciples of John pray, they was impressed, and they asked Yeshua, how can we pray like that? And he first starts them off by saying, say, our Father, okay, our Father. And he said unto them, when ye pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven, holy be thy name. So we want to look at that, how they addressed him. 
And what we notice is that in teaching them to pray, he tells them to say, Our Father. He starts with how to address Elohim, and he says to address him as Father. And what we notice about a father is that it can definitely be both a name and a title. What child doesn't call one's father either daddy or papa? Here in this scenario, we can see that a father can be a title pointing him out as the head of one's family, and father can be a name pointing out his relation. When we read in Holy Writ about how children address their fathers, they don't call them by their name, but rather they call them father. When Abraham was taking his son Isaac to sacrifice him, Isaac recognizing that Abraham didn't have a sacrifice, sacrificial offering said unto him, my father. And when we read that in Genesis 22, 7, he didn't say Abraham, he said my father. And in the ancient Near Eastern custom, that was the way that they address their, uh, their, their, their parents, father, okay? So the male partner, they addressed him as father. And generally, before they spoke to their father, they would say, my father. And then the father said, my son. And when he said, my son, that would give him permission to speak. Because he, Isaac, was concerned about the fact that he was going with a sacrifice. And he had gone with his father many times on a sacrifice. And he noticed he didn't have a lamb. And so he said, my father. But what we are interested in is how he addressed him. And on the occasion when Yeshua was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was agonizing in prayer, he was addressing uh, his father as he said, his father. And Yeshua taught us to address Elohim not by title or name, but by our relationship to him. So when we look at Matthew 26, 42, and a number of other verses, when he was agonizing, he himself said when he was talking to him, his father, he said, my father, my father. So father was dear to him. So when we see father, it could be a title or a name, but most of all, what he's pointing out is a relationship. Since Yeshua himself instructed us to address Yah as our father, could it be that Father represents his name, title, and relationship? If that is so, then by us keeping the Shabbat, it would give us a special relationship to him. So when Yah says, remember the Shabbat, in order to remember, we must have a man. Our man is our brain, and our brain is our forehead. It is in our forehead is where he puts his seal and name. He puts his seal and name in our foreheads. Since y'all's seal and name are in the forehead, then is there any association between 
the seal and the name. If his name is in the the the, the Shabbat, if his seal is the Shabbat that is, and his name is Father, then there is a possible union of them. Let us see now how the union is brought about. We will refer to this part of our study as an anamesis association. Okay. Uh, and an anamesis association. Now, we, the last one was the anamesis appellation. Now we are dealing with the anamesis association. In an anamesis association, there is the coming together of a mental connection between two things. In our case, the two things are the seal of Yah, which is the Shabbat, and his relationship, which is Father. So how do we unite two in our, how do we unite the two in our foreheads? When we consider the Hebraic and, and Greco spelling of the words Shabbat and Father, it is plausible that these two words could be said to embrace one another. We spell these two words as the following. In English, the way that we spell Shabbat, Shabbat is S-A-B-B-A-T-H. In Hebrew, we spell the Sabbath Shabbat, S-H-A-B-B-A-T-H. In Greek, we spell Sabbath S-A-B-B-A-T-A. -A -A. Okay, so that's how we spell uh, Shabbat, Sabbath, and Sabbatah. English, it's Sabbath. Hebrew, Shabbat, Greek, Sabbatah. Now let's look at the word for father. In English, we have father. Hebrew, we have ab. In Greek, we have pater. That's where we get patriarch. And in Aramaic, we have abba. So when we look at English, we have father. In Hebrew, we have Ab, A-B. In Greek, we have Pater, P-A-T-E-R. In Arabic, we have Abba, which is A-B-B-A, -B -B -A, Abba. When we consider the spelling of them, we have both the Hebrew word Father in the midst of Shabbat. Therefore, the seal of Yah and his name are together. When you look at the word Shabbat in the midst of Shabbat, you have A, B, B, A, or A, B. It's right there in the word itself. Shabbat. Therefore, the seal of Yah and his name are together. The father's Hebrew name, Ab or Abba, is a part of the sh Shabbat, sh making it a part of the seal. Thus, when we worship on the Shabbat, we automatically worship the Father of the universe because his name is read in the midst of the Shabbat, showing his relationship as Father 
and he puts it right there in Shabbat. Now let us go on to an anamesis of area. In an anamesis of area, we are given a remembrance of the domain in which Elohim rulership expands. According to the fourth commandment, it was Yahuwah, Elohim, who created both the heavens and the earth. Therefore, his rulership would include both the heavens and the earth. And every Shabbat is a remembrance that our uh, Father, our Heavenly Father, reigns and rules heaven and earth. Every Sabbath, we should remember that. He rules heaven and earth. And our last thing we want to look at is the an anamesis antiquity. An anamesis antiquity. An anamesis antiquity, we are concerning ourselves with how long Yah rules. In the book of Daniel, is uh, Yahuwah, or our father, is called the Ancient of Days. We read that in Daniel 7, 9. He is called the Ancient of Days. And being such, he has been ruling ever since he's been in existence. And there was never a time he was not. He predates the creation of our universe for the mere fact that he created it. And when he gave to mankind his Shabbat to keep, it is to be kept forever. In the book of Isaiah, we are told in Isaiah 66, verses 22 and 23. Let's turn to there, Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 66. Okay, so here in Isaiah 66, and we're looking at verses 22 and 23. Now, the Bible says here in verse 23, it says, well, well in verse 22, we'll start with, it says, for the new heavens and the new earth. So he's talking about the future here in the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, so we are in the old heaven in the old earth, but he says in the new heaven and the new earth, he says, which I will make shall remain before me, saith Yahweh or Yahuwah, so shall your seed and your name remain. And notice what he says in verse 23, and it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Shabbat to another shall all flesh come to worship before me saith the Father. Okay, so what we have here is that when we have uh, anamesis of uh, antiquity, we are talking about how long Elohim shall rule. And so when we look at how long he would rule, and when we read in the book of Isaiah, it is saying that every week we should keep a Shabbat and we should come before for him. He said, because the new moons and the Shabbat will be before him in the new heaven and new earth. So every Shabbat is a reminder of Yah's eternal rulership. Now, next week, we want to see how Satan duplicates this scenario with the mark. We want to see how the mark relates to 
this part of the seal. So we'll conclude this study with this. You know, I found uh, interesting, and it never really dawned on me till you mentioned it today, about how he taught us to say our Father. He didn't say our God, our Lord, our King, none of that, but our Father, which implicates more of a personal connection mm-hmm. when you call someone your father because it's like you know um that shows family but mm-hmm, sometimes definitely. when you say a god a lord a king there's a disconnect there mm-hmm. in all but by saying our father it's interesting because um it shows a more personal relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, um, just to review, you said the English version is of Sabbath is Sabbath, Hebrew Shabbat, mm-hmm. and Sabbatah. That's uh, Greek. 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 Okay. And what was it for Aramaic? Was it one for I didn't really. I didn't give a. Uh, I didn't give a word uh, in Aramaic for uh, for for Sabbath. I gave the Aramaic word for Father. Okay. Mm-hmm. So okay. So to reiterate too, uh, Father English Hebrew is mm-hmm. Ab, A B. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aramaic is Pater. Abba, A B B A. Oh, Aramaic is uh, Abba. Okay, in Greek is pater. Pater. Uh, pater. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because pater almost seems close to father, pater almost. It, it, it is. See, when we talk about the patriots in the days of old, that come from the word pa- pater. Patriarch means okay. father. Just like okay. a matriarch means a mother. Patriarch means father, but it comes from the word pater. Okay. Mm-hmm. From the word pater. Now, pater. Um, mm-hmm. What is Yah's uh, father name? Is it still Ab in Paleo Hebrew? Mm-hmm. It's still it's still Ab, but okay. uh, only thing about in Paleo Hebrew, uh, the characters of the letters may look a little different, but it, it's still Ab. Still Ab. Yeah, and like you see, in some forms of Hebrew, they would spell it uh, A V, and some forms of uh, Hebrew they are said A B. But but they still basically the same. Just like when you deal with the month of Abib, which uh, is a month when we have the Passover. Some some uh, Hebrew manuscripts may have uh, A B I B, and some manuscripts may have A V I V. Uh-huh. In other words, the B and the V may be interchangeable. Okay. Now. Um... So let me ask this too. It does the symbols for the Aleph and the Tav also fit in with Father, or is that something different? The Aleph and the Tav? Yeah, because I know they said, uh, you know, uh, the Father is the Aleph and the Tav, or some uh, people the um, Alpha and Omega. Yeah, well, actually, see, when in, in, in the book of Revelation, when it says the Alpha and Omega, that 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 really didn't come from the original manuscripts. If you go to the original manuscript, mm-hmm. now what the writer was doing, no doubt, when they uh, wrote the Book of Revelation in it in Greek, they were trying to be equivalent to the Hebrew. 
Okay. Just like the Alev and Tav in the Hebrew is the first and the last letter. Mm-hmm. And then when you deal with Greek, the Aleph, uh, the, the Alpha and Omega is the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So they were merely just saying that uh, I want to show in Greek the, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the alphabet and the ending of the alphabet, just like Aleph. And the Tav is the beginning of the, uh, in the ending of the Hebrew alphabet. But actually, I don't think that John spoke in in Greek. Uh Because when John was here on earth, John uh, read the Hebrew manuscripts. And when he read the Hebrew manuscripts, and even the Apostle Paul, when Yeshua met him on the Damascus Road, he didn't speak to him in Greek. He spoke to him in, in Hebrew. This is why we call his name Shual. Shual is the Hebrew name. Okay. He didn't say Paul, Paul. He said Shual, Shual. But when we translated, we translated in Greek. Okay. So no doubt the same thing was happening in Revelation. They changed the Greek, I mean the Hebrew to the Greek. So we say Alpha and Omega. It should have been Aleph and the Tau. Aleph and Tau. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I find, so Shabbat the whole basically universe and things uh, center around his seal, which is mm-hmm. his day of worship, his Shabbat. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. So Satan is basically saying, if I can change that, I'm getting rid of his seal. Yeah. Right. But, but, but we, we gonna discover uh, what he's trying to do with that thing. Mm-hmm. The reason why he, he's put so much energy in changing it. We're going to, we want to see why, wh- why, why is he investing so much energy in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we want to see why he's doing that. So, okay, so we, we're so adamant about, okay, keeping his seventh day, but why aren't certain entities so adamant about how we should be keeping his feast? Yeah, well, uh, well, well, I don't know if people are adamant about keeping, keeping the feast. Uh, what, what do you mean by it? Well, I mean, people are, you know, uh, some entities are so... Um, you know, they adamantly keep in the Sabbath day, mm-hmm. but when it comes to keeping his feast that is outlined, you know, some people can't see about keeping them. And I'm just wondering, I wonder why is it just outright? They just don't want to do it. Don't want to change or, well, you I, know, mm-hmm. or is it just, you know, maybe they just haven't been convicted of it yet or because all yeah. of it ties in together. Yeah, it all ties in together, as we as we have already earlier pointed out, that you have the seal, but you also have the system, mm-hmm. and you have the mark, but you also have the system. Okay. Okay. So, 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 what we what we dealing with is it's a plethora of reasons why they don't keep the feast days. Number one is they are not taught it, mm-hmm. and number two is some know it but they don't keep it, and then we got some people who uh, who are, who are uh, well, they are set on the fact that they were done away with at the cross when he died. Yeah. And that's been one of the biggest hindrance of the feast days is that when he died on the cross, he, he eliminated the feast days. And the same people that say he eliminated the feast days, they still keep the Sabbath. And in Leviticus, the Sabbath, weekly Sabbath goes well with the annual Sabbath. So by right, when first day people or people who keep Sunday say, that uh, the, all of them was done away with, and you have to do what they with the sap, 
the, the Seventh Day Sabbath too, but they don't want to do with, do that. So it's it's a number of reasons why they don't they they don't want to keep the system. Mm-hmm. And 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 you take many of the top seminaries in the land that teach their ministers how to minister. What we find is they don't they don't teach the feast days. And so when you come out with a degree, a doctor's degree, or a master's degree, or an MA degree, uh-huh. and they have taught you about the Sabbath and didn't teach you about the feast days, then most likely with that degree, you're going to teach what they taught you. And if they didn't teach it, you ain't you aren't going to teach it. So uh, to a large extent, uh, we can fault our schools for not teaching it. Just like when Luther was trying to teach many of the things of the Bible, he not only uh, dealt, well, Luther dealt with the church, but he had a friend, and the friend was Melanchthon, and Melanchthon, he was in the educational sphere of the church, mm-hmm. and he was trying to teach it in education. So as we, go, we are going to have the Reformation and Revival to bring Elohim's people back around to keeping the feast days, then many of our teaching institutions, our schools and our universities, and our, and our uh, uh, lower grade schools and our academies, they have to be taught these things. So when they come out, they have a knowledge of the feast days. But until our schools begin to change their minds and their curriculum, then we'll have a hard time trying to teach individuals the feast days because it hasn't been taught in their institutions. Wow. And I, I wonder is the reason why it hasn't been taught in our institutions is because of the influence of uh, different religious organizations. You know, I think I wonder, do we follow other religious organizations as opposed to following and studying the scripture as a whole? Because I think a lot of times, a lot of religions, you study more of the founders of the religion than you do of the Bible. You're not sure. You know, well, not only do you set it the founders of religion, but uh, uh, you 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 are also studying the founders' perception of religion. Yes, just like when you talk talk about uh, uh, any religion uh, founder, you know, you look at uh, the churches who found these religions. Now, there's two things you got to look at. If a, if uh, you look at the Lutheran church, they are followers of Luther, what Luther taught. He yeah. may not necessarily have taught on every, some things may have com- been correct, but he may not caught on the other aspects of what the Bible was teaching. Mm-hmm. For the mere fact that Luther was under a Sunday-keeping church, he never protested. I've never seen him protest against Sunday, because maybe that was not an issue at that time. Yeah. Okay. But he did protest about trying to pay priest penance for the forgiveness of your sin. He said that was wrong. Okay. So what I'm saying is uh, the Lutherans follow, follow that type of religion. And then you take um, uh, other churches, you, you take the Methodist church. Okay. And I think that was by Wesley, Uh Charles Wesley and the Wesley brothers. And we call it the Methodist religion. Why we call it Methodist? Because Wesley, 
they had a method of everything they did. They had a method. Uh-huh. And because of the method they had, they called them the Methodist Church, okay? Now, the other thing that we have to keep in mind, that when you look at a religion that is named after a person, and that person did not teach what the Bible taught, but their own slant on it, uh-huh. that is a religion, okay? Now, remember, if you, you can read from Genesis to Malachi and from Matthews to Revelation, you never see where Elohim ever gave a religion. He never gave a religion. He gave yeah. a covenant. There is no religion. All religion is man-made. It's concocted by man. And so when people get into a religion, they teach their side, and they don't necessarily teach the Torah or the, or, or, or the covenant. So therefore, when you come talking about feast days and all of this, uh-huh. they haven't been taught that. That's not in a religion. Man didn't teach them that. He taught them what he wanted to teach, and they run with that. So we have to come back to the Torah. We have to come back to the covenant. And when we come back to the covenant, we see a lot of the religion that we have does not equate with the covenant. So therefore, we have to make a choice. Do we accept religion or do we accept the covenant? True. And I, I think a lot of us, we the reason why we join religion is because it fits the narrative of how we want our life to go. And it gives mm-hmm. us excuses mm-hmm. to say basically, well, yeah, that's all I was taught. But at the same token, you know, I can see y'all saying, well, didn't you have several Bibles? Didn't I give you a mind for you to read yourself and understand for yourself? You know, and because I, I think we should all read and study scriptures for ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, to understand for ourselves. Because if we don't, how do we know these religions aren't taking us down the wrong path? Well, that's true. That's what we have to do use our minds that he has given us in order to interpret scriptures and allow, allow the Holy Spirit to work with our minds, not just with the leaders. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, with that, we will go on to our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. Well, today, and let's talk about it, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit or the Ruach Hokadash. Because a lot of times we, uh, just like we just talking to and Pastor mentioned about the Holy Spirit. And I kind of want to understand a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles with you still, um, if you can turn with me to Luke eleven thirteen, And it reads, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Ruach, Hokadesh, or the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So my question is, what exactly is the Holy Spirit? Is it a separate entity? Is it part of the Most High? And how do we go about receiving the Holy Spirit or the Ruach HaKadosh? Okay, well, one, one of the things I try to point out about the Holy Spirit, a lot of people want to know, you know, who is the Holy Spirit? Is he God? Is he a separate person or something? Mm-hmm. But I try to take them... Um, back to when the Holy Spirit was first introduced uh-huh. into the scriptures, because generally the way something is first introduced is how it's going to be used throughout the rest of the Bible. So let's go go there first. Okay. And that's that's found in Genesis one one. Okay. Okay. Now in Genesis one one. Okay. So in Genesis one one, what we want to look at is this. 
it says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And verse 2 is one we want to focus in on. He said, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It said, the spirit of, or the Ruach, Elohim, moved upon the face of the waters. Now, what we notice that in this verse, the first time the spirit is introduced to us, it says, the spirit of Elohim. It didn't say God the spirit. It said the spirit of God. Okay. It didn't say the spirit of, it didn't say Elohim the spirit. It said the spirit of Elohim. Okay. Uh -huh. If we got the Ruach HaKodesh and it says the spirit of, anytime you have the word of, you're talking about something that is a part of something else. It's not indigenous by itself. It's, it's a part of. Now, if it, now, when we speak about Elohim, we don't say Elohim, uh, we, don't, we don't say Elohim of something. Mm -hmm. because he exists himself. He's not a part of anything. He's Elohim all by himself. But what comes from him is a part of him. So if he said the spirit of Elohim, then we are saying that Elohim have a spirit. Okay. Okay, so if Elohim have a spirit, then that would mean that the spirit and Elohim are one and the same. Okay, now let's, let's turn to uh, Matthew and just... Uh, look at another uh, uh, thing about the Holy Spirit. Okay, here in Matthews, we want to look at uh, chapter 1. And here in Matthews chapter 1, and we want to look at verse uh, 18. Now notice what it says here in Matthews one eighteen. It says, Now the birth of Yeshua, the Messiah, was on this wise when his as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now notice it says she was child of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that right? Uh -huh. Okay, now, and then when we jump down in verse 20, it says, uh, one of the reasons why I, uh, Joseph had a question in, in uh, you know, whether he should marry her or not, and because he found out she was pregnant. Okay, so in verse 20 it says, but when he thought on these things, behold, the angel of Yah, or angel of the Lord, appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Okay? Uh -huh. Okay, now let's, let's read them together. Now, when Yeshua was, was born, then... The Bible says he was the son of God or the son of Elohim, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now let's look at uh, let's take a, let's look at in the book of John, John three sixteen, one of our favorite uh, passages in John three sixteen. Okay. Now notice what it says in John three sixteen. It said for. For Elohim so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Mm -hmm. Now, if the Holy Spirit was different from the Father, and he's the one that caused Mary to be impregnated with Yeshua, why would it say he's the Father's son if they were different? He would say he's the Holy Ghost son. But here mm -hmm. saying he's he's here saying here in John three sixteen, he said, Elohim so loved the world he gave his son. So how can you give a son that you never had if the Holy Spirit is the one that gave it. I would say the Holy Spirit gave a son. 
But it said the Father gave his son because in creation what we understood is that his spirit came from him. Uh-huh. And because his spirit came from him, it was a part of him, just like our spirit is a part of us. And then when the spirit came down upon Mary and gave him the sow, Yeshua, it was the Father that was doing it through his spirit. So therefore, he could say that my son, he can call him son because he came from his spirit, which was a part of him. Mm. Wow. So, Yah's spirit, in essence, moved upon Mary's womb and impregnated her. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's that's quite astonishing because uh, when we go back to the creation, mm-hmm. there was uh, he he gathered up the dust of the ground and he made man. And before man became a living and thinking creature, what did he do? He breathed his breath into man, and man became a living soul. And when and that, so, that that breath was his spirit. He mm-hmm. breathes into it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So when it talks about in Scripture receiving the Holy Spirit, what are some things that we can do to ask Yah to receive the Holy Spirit, His Spirit? Okay. Yeah, well, let's turn to, uh, let me see, uh, I believe that's Luke 11. Let's turn to the book of Luke 11. Yeah, let's see. Book of Luke, eleventh chapter. Okay. Uh, all right. Let me see. All right. Uh, that's Luke eleven, and let me see. And let me see. Let's turn to Luke eleven, and we want to look at verse thirteen. Okay, verse 13. You can take time on your own. You can probably re- re- uh, you can read from verses 5 to 13, but I'm, 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 for the brevity of it, I'm, I'm just going to jump right down to verse 13. Okay, in Luke eleven thirteen, 13, it says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? One of the first re, uh, things to receive the Holy Spirit is to ask for it. Okay. You got to ask for it. If, if you want it, ask for it. He said, ask. Uh, he said, ask, and you should receive. Seek, and you should find. Knock, and it should be open. So you got to ask for it. And and when we look at the book of Acts, let's, let's look at the book of Acts. Okay. In the book of Acts, in chapter 1, what, what do we have here? Uh, in the book of Acts, what's one? Like I said, you got to ask for it. A lot of people are not asking for the Holy Spirit. Okay, in, in Acts chapter 1, and starting with verse 4, it says, And being assembled together, and this is after uh, Yeshua uh, was getting ready to go, go back to heaven after he had uh, completed his mission here. He said, And being assembled together with them, talking about Yeshua, mm-hmm. commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said ye have heard of. Now, what was the promise of the Father? Well, here it is right here. Verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days. So he's saying the promise of the Father is to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. You're already gone through the baptism of repentance. Now you need the Holy Ghost. Okay. okay, now, okay, now we look at Acts 
Acts uh, 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 chapter, uh, let me see, uh, uh, Acts chapter uh, 2, and, well, actually, uh, let me see, uh, before we get to chapter 2, I want to just point out what, uh, what they did. And let me see. It was saying in Acts one. And let me see. And okay. And let me see. All right. Uh, Let me see. I was looking at that part. Let me see. Let me see here. They were in the upper room. All right. And when they were in the upper room, uh, now notice that. Let me see. All right here. And all right here, the upper room experience uh, in verse twelve, Acts one twelve. So after telling them uh, that they should receive the promise of the Father, he said, "Then they returned unto Jerusalem." And from the Mount of Olives, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Okay, now in verse 13 is, is what I want. He said, and when they were come in, they went up into the upper room. Okay, you remember? Uh, when they went up into the upper room. Okay. Now, in verse 11, before they went in the upper room, it said, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven, this same Yeshua, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So he has already ascended into heaven. But he said his disciples, they went back to Jerusalem, and they went into the upper room, and they abode there. And it tells you who they who were in the upper room. And also in verse uh, 14, it shows that the women and the mother of Yeshua, they were also up there in the upper room with the disciples. And what were they praying for? They were praying for the promise of the Father. What was it? All right, in the book of Acts it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, <clears throat> they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. So they had persevered in prayer, and they was asking for the Holy Spirit. And so when the day of fully, uh, Pentecost had fully come after the 100 days had, had expired and, and Pentecost was there, they received the Holy Ghost. How did they get it? They asked for it. So all we have to do is ask for it. And mm -hmm. once we ask for it, it would begin to work in our lives and change from you know, maybe we weren't living how we were supposed to be living. Well, see, the thing is, is that you you, you, you have two baptisms. Mm -hmm. You have the baptism of water, which means you repent of all your sins. And so then the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it says, now that you're clean, then I'm going to come into your life and I'm going to lead you. And as he leads us, we are led in the way that he wants us uh, us to go. And when we find ourselves departing from what he wants us to do, the Holy Spirit nourishes us. And if we are susceptible or if we listen or if we feel the moving or the intuition of the Holy Spirit to lead us in the right way, we're going that right way. But if we don't want to go in that right way, we will spurn the Holy Spirit and we are going opposite to what he wants. 
But if we continue to go in the way that he wants, then the Holy Spirit will continue to lead us and we'll have his abiding presence with us as long as we are here on this earth. So uh, before we get ready to close, uh, so, and I know you probably mm-hmm. answered it earlier, but I kind of want to be clear. Is there such thing as a trinity? As you know, people I think people say. Based, you're right. No, I was done. You're right. Well, uh, I think people have, they have they, they, uh, many people have uh, scholars and teachers and, you know, and preachers, uh, bishops and people who are over religions, uh, bodies and schools and institutions, they have, they have uh, said that there is a Trinity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say God is, God is one. Jesus is the other. And the Holy spirit is the third. And so they, they have formed the Trinity based, based upon this. Okay. Now when they base a, a Trinity upon it and they say that you got three persons, then one of the problems is if you got three persons in a Trinity, then when Yeshua says that when you baptize somebody, they use the scripture that says baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Where the Father's name is either Elohim or either El Shaddai, Yeshua's name uh is Yeshua, uh, he's supposed to be the son, the second person of the uh, Trinity. Mm-hmm. So could you tell me, what is the Holy Spirit's name? Yeah. Okay, now they say Holy Spirit is a person, so let's let's kind of go down the line. All right. When you get in the book of Revelations, it says that Yeshua has a throne, and the Father has a throne. Mm-hmm. So if the Holy Spirit is a person, where's his throne? I don't see no throne for the Holy Spirit. Okay. True. Now, uh, the other thing that we have to take in consideration, if we say that the Holy Spirit is is a, is a person, then one of the one of the problems one of the problems that we're gonna have is one of the greatest problems I think that the Earth will experience in the last days, outside of the changing of the Sabbath and the feast days, what we're dealing with is spiritism. Now, okay. spiritism is. And when you understand spiritism, you understand this. Spiritism is to say that when you die, your spirit lives on. Okay. And okay. is still able to think and to reason with other people in life. And we know that that is not true. When a person is dead, that spirit is no longer can love, hate, or anything else. Okay. So if you say that Elohim has a well, if you say that Elohim has a spirit and that spirit is not connected with him <clears throat> and it's going on without him, you got a spirit out there, you got the father and you got the son and you got the got the spirit. And you said the spirit is out there by itself. It doesn't have a body. Isn't that teaching spiritism on the highest level that a spirit can exist without a body? Mm-hmm. Okay, now. Here's the thing we want to look at, too. Mm-hmm. Everything that Elohim has created, especially with animals, fish, birds, and mankind, mm-hmm. is that they all have bodies and they all have spirits. Okay. Okay. Body of a fish 
it brings in its oxygen through gills. It doesn't breathe, but it has life because it gets its oxygen out of water, but it has gills to be able to get the oxygen to survive. Uh-huh. A bird, it breathes oxygen to live. Animals breathe oxygen to live. And man breathes oxygen to live. We have spirits. Okay, now, here's another problem with the Trinity. If you say that the spirit is existing by itself, then how is it in the creation that everything that Elohim made with the spirit had a body? Why is it Holy Spirit the only one that doesn't have a body? Okay, now I want you to hold that thought. Uh-huh. And the other thing that we want to look at, if you say the Holy Spirit is a separate person, okay, let's give them, let's give them the fact that, okay, we'll say the Holy Spirit is a different person. Okay. The only thing different about it is it doesn't have a body. Okay, now, if Elohim, who is, who is the father, is the first person of the Trinity, so-called, if he's the first person, in order for him to have a life, he has to have a spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Because when he made Adam and Eve and breathed into them, his spirit, his spirit is what gave them life. But if he has no spirit, that means he has no life. So in order to be the father, he had to have a spirit, okay? Yeah. And when Yeshua came, and when Yeshua was his son, he also had a spirit, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, now, if the father had a spirit and a body, and his son had a spirit in the body, and then we come to the spirit, then the next question we have is this then. If the father have a spirit and the son have a spirit, and then you got the spirit all by itself, you got more than a trinity because, number one, yeah. you got the father, and he has a spirit. That's mm-hmm. two. And you have Yeshua, which is three, and his spirit is four. And then you got the Holy Spirit out there all by itself. That's five. That's five people. Because if you can separate the Holy Spirit as being a person, then quite naturally you ought to be able to separate the Father and His Spirit and Yeshua and His Spirit. So that's another question that you have to think about. But let but let us say, but let but let us but let us say that the Father and His Spirit are one, Uh and Yeshua and His Spirit is one. And then you got the Holy Spirit. Then you got you you saying you saying the father is, is one all by himself, and you saying the son is one all by himself, and then you said the spirit is one all by himself. So then, if the spirit is one all by himself, then you have to say to yourself, then uh, when the Holy Spirit came down from the Father, where did it come from? What was the source? Where did it come from? Then. Because when Yeshua was baptized, he heard the voice of his father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So where did that spirit come from if it didn't come from the father? Yeah. And when the Holy Spirit goes back to heaven, where does he go if it doesn't go back to the father? Isn't it ironical that when we speak about the Holy Spirit, mostly when we speak about the Holy Spirit, it is, it is him sending it to earth. But when you yeah. get to heaven, does it really speak about the Holy Spirit being different from the father? I don't read that in scripture. So there's a number of questions with the scholars and the, those who teach a trinity that there's a lot of inconsistencies. And one of the greatest inconsistencies that I've seen is that most time when I deal with trinarians uh-huh. and, and they get to points that he, they can't explain, the first thing they say, well, you can't really explain it. <laughs> After giving all of what they say is the Holy uh-huh. Spirit, they say you can't explain it. Well, if you can't explain it, why do you keep trying to explain it then? Yeah. 
Because the Bible says in the Shema, it said, Heal Israel, your Elohim is one Yah. He's one. He's uh-huh. he's not he's not fragmented. Wow, that is so true. And we had a question that has come in from a listener. Okay. And it says in Proverbs chapter thirty, verse four, how do we answer the question in that verse? What is his name and what is his son's name if thou canst tell? So let's read Proverbs 34. And it reads, who has ascended wait, up? Wait, 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 hold up. What, what text is it? Uh, verse 4, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. Okay, go ahead. And it reads, uh, who has ascended up into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? who has bound the waters in a garment, who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name and what is his son's name, if you can tell? Okay, now what's the question? Okay, it says uh, in Proverbs 30, (laughs) verse 4, how do we answer the question in that verse? What is his name and what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. Okay, this is the uh, wise man Solomon. Uh, a lot of time when you read uh, in the scriptures, a lot of times, a lot of meanings that Elohim has in his word, he has hidden them. And I think uh, there's a scripture that says that for kings, he has hidden a lot of his wisdom that the kings, they have to seek it out. It's not readily available. And this is why sometimes we have to take our time when we read scriptures to meditate upon it because we can read it. It's, it's good to, prow- to read through the Bible quickly, but sometimes we have to take time and to meditate and to uh, just peruse the Scriptures and not to run too fast. In other words, when we move fast in the Scriptures, what happens is we get familiar with them, but in order to get intimate with the Scriptures, then we have to kind of slow down and really pause and to see what it's talking about. So when it says, what is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou can tell? Now, some people say he's basically talking about wisdom, but I want to go a little bit further now. In in verse 3, if you notice what it says, it said, I neither learn wisdom nor have knowledge of the holy. So when he talk about his name, he's talking about wisdom, okay? Mm -hmm. But I want you to keep this in mind, too. That whenever you have wisdom, where did wisdom come from? Wisdom had to come from a person. So when you personify wisdom, it's a person. Just like when you talk about love. Can you have love without a lover? Okay, when you talk about mercy, can you have a per can you have mercy without a person given mercy? Okay. And when you talk about uh, uh, forgiveness, you have to talk about a person who is a forgiver. So whenever you have a a, a noun, the noun or the verb of action has to come from a person, okay? So if you say, uh, if you see something flying, the flying is connected with a bird. So when we look at the word wisdom, it has to be connected or personified in a person. And who was that person? Okay? Uh Now, uh, the person that is talking about here, he said, what is his name? 
Okay. Now, when you look at the word Michael in the book of, I think Michael is, uh, is, is uh, spoken a few times in the book of Daniel. Uh-huh. But when you look at the Hebrew word Michael, it is answering the question that is being asked in this particular passage. He said, what is his name? His name is Michael. Michael was his name in heaven, but Yeshua was his name on earth. So what does Michael mean? Michael means who is like Elohim, because the, the E-L on the end of Michael means God or L. L means God in the English. I mean, uh, English is God, but in Hebrew it's L. So when you look at the name Michael, it means, well, uh, who is like God, okay? Okay. All right. Now, then when you look at, when you look at uh, what is his name, his name is Michael, okay? Now, then it, Solomon comes back and says, and what is his son's name, okay? Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Now, uh, when you look at what is his son's name, I, I think uh, also, let me see, hold up. Uh, uh, let me see. Uh, I don't know if I can find it right now uh, since I just got the question. Uh, uh, let me see. Yeah. Yeah, let me see. Uh, Okay, all right, let me, um, let's see, uh, let me see, all right, well, well, let me, let me go on to this point. Uh, he said, who has established the ends of the earth and what is his name? Okay, now, now keep in mind this, is that if we call his name Michael, and he goes to the ends of the earth as, as it's saying, in other words, he was, a, he was, when the father made all creation, he and his son, they created all things together, according to the book of uh, uh, Colossians in the first chapter. Okay, they created all things together. But what we also want to see is that Yeshua was a co-creator with his father. They created together, co-creator. So when you name, what is his name? All right. Well, you can say his name was... Elohim or Yahuwah Elohim, the Lord God Almighty, you know, he established all things, okay? Mm-hmm. So what is his son's name? Now, now I already gave one uh, scenario for his son's name, and that was he was the one like God. See, that when, when Lucifer says he wanted to be like Elohim, mm-hmm. he was actually saying he wanted to take the son's place because mm-hmm. the son was the only one that was like the father. That's wow. the only one in the universe like his father. Uh-huh. Why was he like the father? Because he came from the father. That's why he was like the father. Wow. Just like if I have a son, the son is going to be like me. Yeah. You know, so so that that's why. Okay, so when Adam had a son, uh, uh, after, uh, after uh, Cain killed Abel, the Bible says uh, Adam had another son. He called him Seth. Mm-hmm. And the name Seth means one, one, one like Adam. That's mm-hmm. what it means, one like Adam. Okay. So he came from Adam. So if... Michael came from Elohim. He's the only one like him. Now, this next meaning of, of this is, he said, what is his son's name? Well, when you look at the name Michael, it is not only saying one who is like God, but it asks his name, his very name, Michael, asks a question. What is the question? The question that the name Michael asks is, who is 
like Elohim. That's what it means. Who is like Elohim? Mm. And so what is his son's name? In the very name, Michael, it is asking the same question that Solomon is asking right here in, in, in 30 verse 4 at the latter part. He said, if thou canst tell, if thou canst tell. Yeah. Well, if you read Michael's name, it means who is like El, who is like God. And Michael was the one, and he is the one that is Yeshua when he came to this earth. Okay, well, we hope that answers your question. If not, send us back another email at uh, scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. And we'd be, in the past, we'll be happy to take it further and answer your question even more. Okay, we sure will. Uh, it was another text I wanted to find, but I okay. couldn't locate well, we it. Okay. In the meantime, I look it up, and if uh, I can share it with you, I'll share it with you. Okay, so may uh, what next week you may can find a text. Uh, to well, tell I tell you what, it. next week I'll, uh, I'll I'll just have that text ready. It's also okay. in the Book of Proverbs. It is in conjunction with the question that was asked uh, that we just dealt with, and I'll share that with you. Okay, so next week we go a little bit more in the depth. Um, another reference verse. So, Pastor, before we wrap it up, can you take us to the throne in prayer? Our loving Father, again, we are just so delighted that you've given us another week. We are sorry about the loss of many who were not able to make it this week. They laid to rest. But in your grace, Lord, you, you sustained us and you gave us health and strength, and we thank you. Bless the bereaved families and those who are sick and shed in, that thou would continue to be with them. Now, Father, as we close this portion of the program, yet as we go through the rest of the Sabbath, give us another blessing. Continue to bless us with all of the blessings that we can obtain on this particular day, that from the last second of the Sabbath that we celebrate, that we can get the last second of your blessings to be able to refresh, to go into a new week. Thank you for my host. Thank you for myself. Thank you for those who listen and, they, and those who will be listening that they too may be, be able to feed upon the things, Lord, that we fish, feasted upon and to be the better for it. Help us not to follow religion, but to follow the covenant. And as we follow the covenant, we can be able to follow the promises that you have given us, that we can indeed ask for the Holy Spirit and he can be able to give it to us. And whatsoever we ask in the name of Yeshua through the power of the Holy Spirit, who urges us to do the things that we do and to say the things that we say, that we'll be in harmony with your wishes whenever we pray. And one of our first prayers is, O oh, Father, deliver us from sin and give us the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you can lead us in this life. We thank you for the way that you have led us thus far. Continue to lead us until the day, O oh, Heavenly Father, we even lay down the rest, or that Yeshua will come in the clouds of heaven. And whichever comes first, O oh, Heavenly Father, may our lives be so much in harmony with thee that in the books of heaven we'll find ourselves in the book of life that when you save your children, that we can be a part of that great throng, oh, Heavenly Father, that can look up and say, Lord, this is our Elohim, and he will save us, and he will deliver us, and he will give us eternal life in the end. So bless us as we go into a new week, and bless each person, that they may be able to receive of the love through the power of the Holy Spirit, that they can be the children that you would have us to be, and that when you come, we can meet you in peace. Is our prayer in Yeshua's name, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. We want to remind you we are on every Shabbat at 1 p.m. at psychove.com. 
We also want to stress that we will be celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread and also Passover in the coming weeks. We will be having a Passover celebration right here on Psychove.com at 1 p.m. on April the 16th. And the next day, the beginning of Feast of Unleavened Bread, April the 17th at 7 p.m., the pastor will be speaking on Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we're going to have another service at 1 p.m., April the 23rd, ending the Feast of Unleavened Bread at 1 p.m. So we we hope you will tune in with us and celebrate with us as we celebrate these spring feasts. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Know therefore that Yahuwah Eloheka, he is Elohim, the faithful El which guards his covenant and the mercy with them that love him and guard his commandments to a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom.